Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And before we get started today, I want to talk about a simple little message that came out. We talked about it this morning, my husband and I, when we did our morning reading, and it's about keeping promises. You know, with kids, it's kind of easy to keep a promise because they will nag you until you honor it. Like, Mommy, you said you would get me ice cream if I was good, and I was good, so I need ice cream. So they won't let you forget. But sometimes promises can be um, a little, little more risky than that. Let me give you an example. Well, first off, don't make a promise unless you know you can keep it, because sometimes you know, you you promise things that are really out of your control and beyond anything that you really have control over. So don't make a promise unless you know you can keep it. But also when it comes to a cancer diagnosis, uh, this is a this is a tough one, but when we have little kids and the kids are involved and they hear about your cancer diagnosis, it's so easy and natural to say, you know what, mommy's going to be okay, don't worry about it. And sometimes we we don't know if we're going to be okay. We, we don't know until we get down the path of treatment and see how it's going. So I want to just share that with you because maybe a different way to say it is, you know, rather than promising your kids that you'll be all right, because if you're not, that will be devastating. But say to them something instead like, mommy has great doctors and they're doing everything they can to make her well. And let your kids know that that they are well-loved and everybody cares about them. And don't worry, no matter what happens, you know, people love you and and you won't be alone no matter what. And again, it depends on age appropriateness of the children, but, but that's a better commitment to make is that we're doing everything we can because you don't want to promise that you're going to survive this because you don't know in the beginning. I remember those feelings. We went through that, and I'm sure I'm going to cover it here in the book at some point if I haven't already. But we're going to... Um we're going to pick this up right from there, but I wanted to just share that with you um, because I think it's really important keeping promises. Don't make a promise unless you know you can keep it, and then keep it no matter what. Keep it. My husband made a promise today that when we're done with this show, he's going to make a six-hour drive to another state to go visit a friend who is um, doesn't have a lot of time left, and he's making he made that promise to go do that, and so he's going to go do that today when we're done. And I'm very, very touched that he's making that effort because it's a long drive. So thank you. And with that, let me go ahead and introduce my husband to you. My guest today is my husband, Bill Olson. Uh, I always like to think of him as my comic relief on the show because he always What a has- shock. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of ourselves. That's where we left off. What a shock. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I always like to have him on my show whenever I can, and he always brings me joy, and we sit side by side and smile at each other and laugh a lot and hit the mute button just in case. Anyway, <laughs> so we're going to get started on picking up our reading, and just to remind some of you, in case you don't know this, um, we have a, a Facebook page called Breast Friends Around the Globe, and we would love to have you join that that Facebook group. It's one that you can actually comment on. So go online to Facebook, go to Breast Friends Around the Globe, ask to join our our group. We have over 500 people on there, which is very exciting. And you can comment, you can make uh, requests of people, you can ask for help with an information. It's not a marketing platform, so please don't be selling jewelry or or shoes and things on there, because that's not what it's for. But we would love to have you join our group and be part of our community. And Bill, I always love that you want to know where people are from. Well, that was the fun part of this. Um, Becky's a great goal setter, not just goal setter, but goal getter. And one of the things that this grew out of uh, breast friends around the globe was that she'd had a set at goal to speak in all 50 states. Well, with her most recent diagnosis and some of the things that were happening to her health, she pivoted just a little bit and said, well, you know, if I could be heard, I think a friend of you suggested, if you could be heard in all 50 states, would that count? In other words, through the podcast. And um, she had a beautiful map with stars on it of the beads or 
gems, really, of the states she'd visited. And so over time, quickly, they filled in the other 50 states. And then we said, oh, yeah. why not the world? <laughs> and now, as far as we know, I think 113 nations have listened to your podcast. But if you have a friend, first of all, join Breast Friends Around the Globe. Mm-hmm. And then if you have a friend living overseas, um, send them a link and ask them to listen. And then send Becky an email or a message about where they're listening from. and oh, maybe just we post can, it on the group. Yeah, yeah. Post, post it, on, it the on the group, where you're from. We met a, a really cool lady from Italy, oh, and yeah. I love talking with her, and we've become Facebook friends, and so now we chat whenever we feel like it. So it's really, it's really been a lot of fun. But just do it through the group. Join the group. Tell us who you are, where you're from, what you're listening to, and we would love to have you do that. So, so there's that. And then also people have asked me, how do, I, how do they buy my book? Well, you can go to beckyolson.com and you can order a hard copy there or you can go to um, get it through Kindle. It's called The Hat That Saved My Life. You can order it through Kindle or you can get it through Audible. So either way and whatever whatever method you choose, um, Breast Friends will receive 25% of any of the sales from that book. So it just helps us keep this radio show going. So there you go. So we are going to pick up, Bill, where we left off last time, which was on Chapter 7. Um, it's called The Treatment, and we're partway through, and we were talking about how the treatment kind of wreaks havoc with your hair <laughs> a little bit, and we were talking about my daughter and her friends trying to dye it blonde, um, but it didn't quite turn out that way, and so we left out, We left off with the phrase, do it again. What a shock. <laughs> How's that? That was good. I rehearsed that all morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, because what happened was we thought it was going to be blonde, and when they blew it out, it was certainly not blonde. My hair was, okay, so here's where we'll start reading now. Okay, my hair was no longer the dark brown I had been used to, nor was it the blonde I expected. It was the color of creamy tomato soup, kind of a light orange. But it was funny, when I lifted it up underneath, it looked like a calico cat. <laughs> we didn't quite get all of it. <laughs> The color wasn't me at all. I decided too late, but I enjoyed the attention from the girls. Besides, my hair would be completely gone within a week. It was a hoot and the most fun I'd had since I started treatment. Even my husband appreciated how this event seemed to snap me from my thoughts, if only for an evening. The next few days went by, same as always, with me still waiting for my hair to fall out. Finally, on the 13th day since my treatment began, I went to bed, wondering if tonight was the night. It was. At three o'clock in the morning, I woke up spitting and trying to wipe the hair from my mouth. I turned on the light next to my bed, and to my horror, I saw that my pillow was covered with long strands of tomato-colored hair. I ran my fingers through my shoulder-length hair, and literally hundreds of strands came off in my fingertips. I panicked. I knew the end was near. I ran to the bathroom to look at the damage, expecting to see a giant bald spot. I didn't, at least not yet, but the rest of the night was quite fitful. The next morning, the sunlight streaming through my window highlighted the fallen hair on my pillow. I bolted straight up in bed and gasped, what do I do now? Do you remember that day? That was a traumatic day for you. (laughs) It was. I remembered something that I had forgotten since the beginning of my ordeal. I'm tough. I can handle anything I set my mind to, and I decided that I could handle this. I made the decision I would simply shave my head. I would rather it be short so that when it fell out, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be so aware of it. For the next few hours, I agonized over actually shaving it. I couldn't imagine being bald-headed in addition to the dangling tube sticking out of my breast, my swollen arm from the lymph node surgery, my lopsided breasts. However, the thought of watching it fall was even more dreadful. So I remember that was, that was not a good, a good feeling at that time. Shaving it is not a big deal, I decided. This is something I could do even by myself. I searched in the bathroom cabinets and finally located the shears, but I could not bring myself to actually plug them in. I grabbed a cup of coffee and sitting in my bathrobe at the kitchen table, I opened the yellow pages and scoured the pages for a beauty salon near me. I found the page and identified several nearby salons and began calling them, to see what they would charge to shave my head. With each salon I called, I explained the situation and told them I couldn't stand to watch my hair fall out, but I didn't have the guts to shave it myself. Most of the receptionists either did not understand or they simply didn't care. They merely quoted rates and hung up. 
I almost gave up and decided to shave it myself when I found a wonderful salon near my home. The man on the other end of the phone was so kind and told me to come by the salon later that day and they would see what they could do to help me. No charge, he added. As my appointment drew near, I quickly showered and put on my very comfortable and very ugly green sweatpants with paint spots. I have to explain that. I I love to paint walls and floors and countertops and now paintings in my art studio. She painted a floor this weekend. (laughs) And a countertop. Becky Angelo. (laughs) But I love to paint stuff like that. I mean, if if you get tired of your environment, change your environment. And the easiest way to do that is with a can of paint. So I had these pants that had paint of every color I had ever painted anything on the pants. And they were very ugly, but they were super comfortable. So anyway... Back to the story. Um, so they were very ugly, green sweatpants with paint spots and a green plaid button-down shirt. I found that pulling shirts over my head was still difficult. My arm was quite swollen from the lymph node surgery. I didn't wash my hair or bother with makeup. I was a mess, and I didn't care. I considered taking a brown paper bag with eye holes cut out in front with me to the appointment so I could leave the salon incognito. But I could not find one bigger than a sandwich bag. <laughs> I didn't think plastic would work very well. <laughs> Why not be, they always say, don't put this over your head, like they have to actually warn you about that. Anyway, I drove to my appointment with tears in my eyes. This wasn't going to be fun, and I fully expected to walk out of the salon even uglier than I was going into it. However, as I entered the salon that afternoon, the same wonderful young man that took my call came out from behind the counter with a big smile on his handsome face. He said, you must be the special lady we've been waiting for. Suddenly, I wished I'd paid a little more attention to the choice of my wardrobe. He extended his arm to me and walked me to the back room where the owner of the salon would take care of me. I felt like a bride in a sweatsuit. (laughs) As he escorted me, he told me that his mom died of breast cancer. He understood what I was going through. We walked slowly so we could continue the conversation. He said he'd pray for me. Once I was seated on my throne, he went back to his station and came back with a little cup of jelly bellies to cheer me up. When the owner of the salon came over to meet me, I was so impressed. He listened to my story and agreed to cut my hair very short. He would not take money from a haircut, nor would he completely shave me. He decided he would cut the sides very short like a boy, but he would leave about an inch on top. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? (laughs) We just did this recently. My husband shaved my head again for me, but we didn't shave it all the way because it's getting thin all on its own. But I have that video on on the Facebook group page. Yeah, you look really cute right now. Yeah, but it's getting thinner by the minute, so we're going to have to do round two here shortly. Anyway, he said, no one leaves my shop without style, he said, even if only for a few days. That's the way I feel about my work as a coiffeur. (laughs) I will never forget his kindness. All right, chapter eight is called A Wig and a Song. The next night, which was by now two weeks after my first treatment, I decided to do something crazy. I was beginning to feel better. My energy level was coming back, and I knew that I only had a few days left with any hair on my head. So I called my cousins and told them I was ready for a night out. I put on my new wig over my very short hair and met them at a local Chinese restaurant. We had a long dinner and then moved to the karaoke bar. I love to sing. Karaoke is my moment in the spotlight. Since I was no longer in the spotlight at work, this was a good alternative. As the night rocked and rolled on, I sang and sang and sang. One thing I didn't expect was that my head got so hot under my wig that I started to perspire. The club was hot, and believe me, it wasn't from my singing. (laughs) I excused myself from the group to go to the restroom. My plan was to wet a paper towel and in the privacy of a stall, remove my wig and wet down my head with cool water with my with cool water. I have to remember the punctuation. (laughs) With my thinning hair, I thought that would do the trick. However, my friends noticed I was gone for some time and they were afraid that I was sick and came in to search for me. The mob entered the bathroom yelling out, are you all right? It's kind of funny. There's only like two stalls in there. (laughs) Didn't have to yell very loud. Uh, Okay. they, They yelled out, are you all right? I responded from inside the stall. I'm fine. I'll be out in a minute. I came out of the stall with the wig back in place, but my face was clearly red and I was still sweating. My cousin, tiny, cute, blonde Sonia, looked at me and guessed it was the wig that was making me hot and urged me to take it off. They all chimed in and one of them said, I bet your hair is adorable. We're family. You have to show us. I was embarrassed. I still had hair, but not much of it. They hadn't seen it yet, but I reluctantly took off my wig. 
<laughs> it looked gross. My face was sweaty, and I had wig indents on my head. I don't know if you know what those are, but you know, they're when your wig's on tight, it leaves little marks on your scalp. It's very not very attractive, and you can see them through very short hair. My friends were amazing. I was overwhelmed by their kindness and encouragement. You look great, Sonia said. She got out her comb, wet down my hair, and reached up from her tiny four foot eleven frame and restyled it. Now she didn't have to reach up very far because I'm not that much taller, but you know. Her first task was to get rid of the indents on the side of my head. They all told me how much they loved my short hair and said it looked so much better than the wig. Whether it did or not, who knows? But they blessed me that evening with their kindness. I tucked the wig into my purse and boldly walked out of the bathroom and back into the karaoke bar. I sang my heart out with wedding bell blues. Over the next few days, I continued to lose hair at an astounding rate. I found that if I combed my hair on top of my head just right, you couldn't see the bald spots. I gained new respect for men who do that funny-looking comb-over thing. I had joined the club. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) I'm glad you remembered those. (laughs) You want to read this? On the 17th day since my first chemotherapy treatment, my husband and I got up early on a bright, sunny morning, dressed and drove to the farmer's market near our home in Beaverton, Oregon. Boy, do I remember that day. Yeah. Here we go. We spent all morning examining the goodies in the booths, and we managed to load our arms with bags of fresh produce, pasta, and desserts, and were visiting the lettuce stand when the wind suddenly gusted. You should take it from here. (laughs) I was shocked when I saw hundreds of little strands of hair flying off my head. It grossed me out even more than when my dog shakes her body and her hair flies everywhere. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I dropped the lettuce from my hand and told Bill, we have to go now. (laughs) We made a beeline for the car, shedding a trail of hair behind us. Losing my hair was already difficult, but to be so embarrassed in such a public way was downright humiliating. I had tears in my eyes and a pain in my heart. Mm, I remember that. (sighs) Yeah, I do too. I didn't want to go anywhere after that. Chapter 9, Bald is Not Beautiful. At least not yet. The next morning, groggy from crying all night, still humiliated and not looking forward to this day, I got up to shower. Bill was still sleeping. Quietly slipping into the bathroom, I disrobed and turned on the hot water. I took another look in the mirror before I shut the door. I didn't like the view. I had no idea it was about to get even worse. I stepped into the steaming hot shower like I did every other morning of my life, what did you name me? What did you call me because of my hot showers? Well, that's not nice. <laughs> Our grandkids don't like me to say this. My <laughs> wife is an alien, and I have a song for that. But one of our grandsons said after I sang it to him, Grandpa, that's not nice. So I don't even think about it anymore. He corrected me. <laughs> well, sorry to bring it back up again. <laughs> Aliens like hot showers, I guess. I guess so. Yeah, I do like hot showers, though, I have to admit. But now we have two bathrooms, so he gets in his own shower. He doesn't have to feel the hot water. Anyway, <laughs> okay, so I stepped into the shower, steaming hot shower like I did every other morning of my life. But this time was different. Nothing could have prepared me for this moment. The water hit my head, and what little hair I had left slid off my head, down my body, and lay in a pool in the bottom of the tub. I shrieked. Bill, startled from his deep sleep, got out of bed, ran into the bathroom to see if I was okay. I was standing there in the tub, naked, bald, sobbing hysterically. He looked heartbroken. I had never been this distraught in front of him before. As he looked at me, he never let on through his eyes or his smile how totally disgusting I looked. (laughs) He simply grabbed a towel, wrapped it gently around me, and hugged me. We stood in total silence except for my deep sobs, and he told me he loved me. When the sobbing stopped, he gently said, Honey, get your bathrobe. I'll clean up the mess. I turned away from him and turned toward the mirror. I was horrified. I couldn't move. The feeling I had in the pit of my stomach when I saw myself for the first time, naked with no hair, was unquestionably the most humiliating thing I've ever experienced. The hideousness of the bald head, two extremely different sized breasts, a tube hanging out of one of them, dangling down to my waist, was more than I could handle. I hadn't lost enough weight to make even a slight difference in my physique. You know, I always thought that was going to be a benefit of chemo as I'd lose all this weight. (laughs) Wrong. 
Um, I felt like Humpty Dumpty, broken, bald, and round. My head looked like a giant egg. A pretty egg. (laughs) Thank you. Didn't feel pretty at the time. It is good, though, that we can laugh about this now, right? So if you're going through this very moment as you're hearing this, you'll be able to laugh about it someday. Um, My head was pure white, and being of Greek descent, it was a pretty big contrast to the rest of my face and body that tanned easily and held the color for a long time. To make it even uglier, excuse me, I had a few tufts of hair still attached, one in the back of my head and one behind each ear. I could have simply pulled them out with my hands, but I was frozen in place. I looked like a creature from Night of the Living Dead. I felt like one, too. A few moments later, as I regained my composure, I was reaching up to give those tufts a tug when Bill turned toward me. He stopped me in my tracks and asked me if he could do the honors. I said yes, and I cried again. He handed me my robe and suggested I go downstairs. The timer on the coffee pot had been set the night before, so the coffee should be ready, he told me. It was a beautiful, crisp, sunny morning. He encouraged me to enjoy a few moments of peace on the patio with my coffee and said he would be right down. I put on my robe as he got the hair clippers out of the cupboard. I took advantage of the offer and went downstairs. Glad the children were still asleep, I poured a cup of coffee, hands shaking, and quietly went outside onto the patio. I wondered how dare the sun shine on such a dreary day. I had no idea why Bill felt the need to do this outside, but I was glad he did. There was no mirror to remind me, and the glass windows were too high up to allow a reflection, and I didn't touch my coffee. Bill came down a few minutes later with the electric barber shears that he had used so often on the boys. He plugged them into the exterior outlet and asked me to stand in front of him. He gently turned me to the best angle, He hit the on button, and the shears began to hum. (laughs) Within seconds, he had shaved all the remaining tufts from my head. Then, before I could turn back around and face him, and without any warning whatsoever, (laughs) he turned the shears on himself and shaved his own head. I couldn't believe it. He had beautiful, thick, dark hair that was suddenly lying on the cement floor on the patio. He shed it for me, and I cried again. I remember why you cried, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll get to that. (laughs) I decided right there and then that any bad deed Bill had ever done was totally forgiven and forgotten. He had just opened up a bank account at the Brownie Point Bank, and his deposit was huge. He had racked up enough points in that one simple gesture to last the rest of his life. Yay! I'm still (laughs) benefiting from that. (laughs) Good investment, man. He spent the rest of the day building up more points as he waited on me hand and foot, did the laundry, cooked meals, all the time trying desperately to ease my pain. Ah, Okay, so right there, there's a couple of pictures, one with me completely bald and one with Bill bald with our kids and our dog. Boy, that dog looks so much better than me. (laughs) She always did, though. (laughs) You have a very handsome face. I do remember saying to you, you know, when I thanked you, I said, thank you so much for doing this, but don't you ever do it again. (laughs) She was kind of mad at me for shaving my head, but I didn't look good. You look cute. Look at that picture. You're a beautiful, bald woman. Look at that. (laughs) Beautiful eyes. You can't hide beautiful eyes. Isn't that right, man? Uh, Okay, that's very sweet. All right, so we've got a couple minutes left, so we'll start on Chapter 10, and then we're going to go out to a break. So Chapter 10 is called The Hat, which is the actual hat that this book is based off of. During the next several weeks, I sank into a deep depression. Every glance into the mirror and sight of my bald head reminded me how sick I was. I didn't want to go anywhere unless I had to. When I did have to go out, the scarf on my head and the sadness on my face told people I was sick. One time, I was invited to attend a meeting at a local restaurant. I was hesitant to go out, but since I hadn't gone anywhere in a while, I decided to make an appearance, as ugly as it was. With my head completely covered by a scarf, I left for the restaurant. The restaurant, the Old Country Buffet, was a very popular place for lunch. There's always a long line at at lunch because they have such a huge selection of food available. This was a typical day, crowded and noisy. I finally got through to the front of the line, paid my fee, and headed toward the food tables. This was one of my rare excursions out in public with my bald head, and somehow I thought that with my head covered by a scarf, I could trick people into not noticing that I was sick. I was wrong. 
I was carrying my tray filled with all my favorite comfort foods, chicken, mashed potatoes, and macaroni, which might be why I didn't lose very much weight from chemo, and oh, macaroni and cheese, to my table when I noticed two elderly women sitting next to each other staring at me as I walked by. One of them nudged the other with her elbow and said loud enough for me to hear, poor woman, I'll bet she has cancer. I felt my face flush with anger. I couldn't wait to get home. I hated being the focal point of someone's pity. And I hated being talked about like that. I remember that day so, so very well. And, you know, when people say, talk about you and that poor thing, I'll bet she has cancer. I did not want to be seen as that poor thing. So we're going to come back and finish the book after we take our first break. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Dot, dot, dot. My chemotherapy was getting worse. I felt sicker with each treatment. My nausea lasted longer and my energy level dropped further. I didn't realize that the reason I needed to wait three weeks between treatments is because my white blood count needed to return to a level that was safe. My doctor confirmed that it usually takes about three weeks to even get close to normal. Then I would have another treatment and it dropped even lower. This process affected my immune system and about every other system in my body. My teeth began to deteriorate. You know, I just want to stop here for a second. Nobody warned me that that I needed dental care. I mean, I've always taken care of it, but it'd been a while since I'd been to the dentist and all my fillings started to fall out. And that's not something that they that you get warned about. So if you're getting ready to start chemo, make a dental appointment, make sure your teeth are in good shape. And just because everything changes your mouth, it affects the the glands in your mouth and everything is impacted so make sure that your teeth are in good shape i had i had to go to the dentist so many times during that it was i'm fairly confident too that all the dentists that um, are licensed have been trained in this area because our dentist in particular was very sensitive to what was going on with becky and her cancer treatments and still is to this day Mm -hmm. so they're very well trained to talk to you about these subjects so don't hesitate to ask your dentist what's going on with your cancer treatments and your mouth yeah and if your doctor doesn't tell you about it ask your doctor or just make a dental appointment either way but but yeah i had no idea that that was going to be an issue so good i'm glad we're having that conversation so um let's see where am i okay my teeth began to deteriorate i quit having regular periods and i began to have hot flashes and no that is not a sexy thing folks imagine just 
moving inside of an oven and sitting there with the door shut. That's what it feels like. It wasn't the cancer that would kill me. I might not survive the treatment. It seemed as if nothing was functioning normally. My body was falling apart, and all I could do was lie on the couch and try to hold myself together. Dot, dot, dot. Then, on July 4th, 1996, Independence Day, my good friend Patty called to see if she could come over to see me. It had been about five weeks since I lost all my hair. I wasn't excited about seeing anyone. I didn't even go outside that night to watch my kids set off fireworks. But I really liked Patty, and I hadn't seen her in a long time. So hesitantly, I said yes. Patty arrived about an hour later. When I opened the door, she was standing there smiling, her big, beautiful smile. She had a brown paper bag in her hand, and it crinkled next to my ear as she hugged me. I asked her, what's in the bag? She said, Dennis, who is her husband, wanted to give this to you himself, but he's afraid you might not take it the right way, so he made me do it. <laughs> Coward. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what to expect, but I had a feeling it would bring a smile to my face. Dennis, Patty's husband, is a crazy and wonderful man. Emphasis on crazy. <laughs> Patty took me around the corner into the hall to share this very private moment with me. She held onto the package and wouldn't hand it over to me until I agreed that I would take it as a token of their love and see it with a sense of humor. Finally, relenting to her request, she handed me the bag. Sorry, it's not wrapped, she said. I don't care, but I sure am curious, <clears throat> I said as I carefully took the bag from her. I opened the bag and looked inside, and I stared at the object for a moment, not quite sure what I was seeing. Suddenly, my eyes lit up, and I felt a lump form in my throat. I ran into the bathroom, pulled the scarf off my head, pulled the gift out of the bag, and placed it on my glowing white orb. The funny little white baseball cap with stick figures of bald-headed people and the phrase, No Hair Day, graced the front of my head. For the first time since my nightmare began, I was able to smile back at the reflection in the mirror. I could see that this, is, I could see that this hat was not just a hat, it would be my lifeline. That silly little hat completely transformed the image in the mirror. Maybe that mirror could be my friend after all. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> oh, you're getting creative in your dots. <laughs> I have to. I've got to use some creative power. <laughs> the next day, I woke up early and got out of bed. I had tremendous energy, more than I'd had in a long time. I found new enthusiasm for life. It's crazy that this simple little hat gave me something to look forward to. And I couldn't wait to try it out. I quickly showered and put on some makeup for the first time in a while. I looked in my closet for the perfect outfit to wear on my first venture back into the world. I settled on a little blue and purple flowered dress. After dressing, I proudly pulled the little white hat out of the brown bag where it spent the night. And I went to the bathroom mirror and again placed this hat on my head. <clears throat> it looked even better in the morning light, especially with a little color on my face. And getting some sleep help, too. I turned sideways to look at it from every angle possible. It didn't hide the fact that I was bald, but I just knew I could do this. I was reborn. I decided right then that I could proudly face the world with courage and a good laugh. With everything in order, I grabbed my purse, my keys, and my grocery list. I went outside and got in my car. Pulling the visor mirror down, I looked one more time just to make sure that nothing changed when I left the safety of my home. It hadn't. Once again, I smiled. I started the ignition, backed down the steep driveway, and slowly drove down the street, still smiling. It was a new day. I was feeling great until I pulled into the grocery store parking lot. I began to have second thoughts. I wondered if I was really ready for this. I said a prayer and decided I would never be more ready. With all the resolve I could manage, I confidently opened the door and emerged to reclaim my place in the world. Making my way to the store entrance, I paused and entered through the automatic door. I held my head high, using my very best posture. I was a princess after hmm. all. <laughs> Must be where our daughter gets it. We have a daughter that's a princess, and she's the, she stands straighter than anybody I've ever, ever seen. Yeah, not sure where she got that. I grabbed a cart and began wheeling my way through the aisles. Amazingly, no one paid any attention to me, and except for the occasional smile from a passerby, I would have thought I was invisible. Again, I thought, I can handle this. When my cart was full, I proceeded to the front of the store. There was only one check stand open, and there were two or three people in line. I slid in behind a young man. 
He may have been in his early 20s. He wore brown cutoffs and no shirt. As I waited my turn, the line began to fill in behind me. I stood there behind him for a moment or two, admiring his bravery for standing there half naked. It's funny how only a man could wear his pant size on the outside of his pants. You know, those little labels that say what size they are. Uh, You know, ladies, would any of you wear your pant size on your butt? (laughs) I know I wouldn't. Thank goodness they always hide ours. He must have sensed my staring at him because for some reason he turned around and looked at me. Surprised, he said, cool hat lady, but why did you shave your head? Oh, you should do his parts because it's a, it's a man's way. You, you do that part, so say cool it again. Cool hat lady, but why did you shave your head? I didn't shave it. Captain Chemo did, I said, smiling back at him. Oh. Clearly he was embarrassed as he quietly responded with. Oh. <laughs> And he turned away from me. The people in the line became deadly silent. No one spoke. I felt horrible. The tension was so thick, it was like swimming in a jar of olive oil. I could hardly breathe. This was my big moment to reconnect with my sense of humor, and I blew it. The poor guy almost died right in front of me. I wanted to abandon the groceries that I spent so long collecting and run to the car. A few seconds later, he slowly turned back toward me and asked, Is it working? Oh, you say that. Is it working? So far, so good, I said with a smile and a huge sigh of relief. You could almost hear the applause in everyone's heart. When it was my turn to pay, the cashier said, wow, what a great attitude. I told her, it's the hat. She asked, do you mind telling me what kind of cancer you have? I had breast cancer, but it's gone. For me, saying my cancer was gone was a huge step. I had not, up until that very moment, acknowledged that I was healed. That was also the exact moment that I knew I would survive. My heart raced at this new revelation. Hmm. She went on. Now, who knew I was going to get it four more times after that? I've heard this book many times, but that's an important line. That was the exact moment I knew I was healed, that you were going to recover from this. Yeah. That's really important. You know, I think that that there are moments like that. Do you remember this recent one with the tree, Mm. the story of the tree? And I don't think I've shared that story on here. And I'm going to actually digress from this book for a moment and tell the story of, of these trees, in case I haven't. Because that was the moment that I knew. You have to catch people up. How many diagnoses have you had now? Yeah, I've had five. So I'm in my fifth battle right now. And this time it's metastatic. It had actually about two years ago, this month, in fact, two years ago, spread to my lungs. And then in March of this year, it moved also then into my lungs and my, or excuse me, my liver and my bones. So it's in my, my lungs, liver and bones at this point in time. And excuse me, on Mother's Day, Bill had bought me with the help of the kids, bought seven trees to plant on our property down in, in Florence. And five of them are apple trees, one representing each child, and then two pear trees for the pair of us. <laughs> I just realized that. Yeah. <laughs> So silly. Anyway, he had planted them all at the top of the hill. In a with spe- our son, Micah. With our son, Micah. And he planted them in a specific order so we knew whose tree was whose. And that was on Mother's Day, so May of this year. In July, I went down to the, we went down to the property. I walked up the hill. And all the trees were beautiful and doing really well, except for mine. My tree was almost dead. Every leaf had turned brown. The few that remained were very crispy and brown. All the other ones were gone. And I looked at that tree and I thought, oh, this is way, way too symbolic. And I started to cry because I I just felt like everybody's thriving around me and I'm dying. That's how it felt to me, for real. That was on July 2nd. And I took pictures of the tree that day. And it, it broke my heart. And then exactly one month later, August 2nd, we were back down there. I walked up to the top of the hill And I fully expected to see the tree withered and on the ground, completely gone. And what I found instead, do you remember, Bill? Well, it was reborn. The tree was. It was full of bright green leaves. It was standing straight and tall. Every leaf that had fallen out had been replaced by a a new, sturdy. It seemed to be the healthiest one at that point. A month later. One month later. And I took a picture that day, too. And those trees are both on on my page. And just this last weekend... As we've uh, crossed the line of Columbus Day as a milestone, a, a marker in the year, you went up and down that hill so many times carrying paint cans and different things to paint the floor of a new shed we've got at the top of the hill. Think about the transformation that's yeah. happened since July. I, it, it's been amazing. When I, when I saw the trees in August, though, and I saw how 
full and and beautiful my tree was, God had restored it completely. And that was the moment. Talk about a moment, you know, where you just feel like something's different, something's changing. It was in that moment that I knew I would survive this. And I I felt I felt amazing. So <clears throat> excuse me. I'm not sure where I was in here, but um oh, right here. Okay, so that was the exact moment that I knew I would survive, and my heart raced at this new revelation, and then it happened again in August of this year. It was incredible. So we're talking about the gal behind the counter. She went on to tell me that her mom had recently been diagnosed with breast cancer and was just starting chemotherapy. Her mom was worried about how she would deal with her hair falling out. She asked me where I got my hat. I pulled the hat right off my head in front of God and everyone to check the label inside exposing the same bald head that I, only a day earlier, was ashamed to show to anyone. I told her my story about how the hat changed everything for me. The dialogue lasted for several minutes, and it seems that everyone in line got involved with our conversation. We were laughing, and they all congratulated me for being so positive. It was healing for me and for the woman behind the check stand. She decided right then that incorporating a little humor into her mom's life would be a good thing for both of them. I believe that things happen for a reason. I am certain that the entire episode in line that day happened for the benefit of the mother of the woman working behind the counter. Dot, dot, (laughs) dot. Good thing there aren't five of them there. (laughs) Be here all morning. This was the beginning of many astounding moments I experienced. I continued to tell my story anytime anyone asked about my hat. When I went out in public, which was often, people no longer stared at me or talked about me. They talked to me. I no longer held my head down or felt saddened by my situation. I was healing more every day, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. I never felt more alive. My hat truly saved my life. You really have had a message <clears throat> about the role of humor in healing. And... Um, and so we thank Dennis and, and Patty for the gift of that hat, taking the risk yeah. to make light of a well, serious situation. Patty did. <laughs> well, Dennis, Dennis did hide in the corner in case you uh, went ballistic. But, but he's um, the one that found it he and found the hat. thought it would make a difference, and, and, and he it, was right. It's been a powerful tool um, and message that you've been able to share countless times to thousands of people now. So beautiful, great Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Patty. Yep. And, you know, I guess part of the reason I wanted to write this book is because I hear people say things like, you know, it's, it's just hair. It'll grow back. And, you know, that while that makes total sense and it's absolutely appropriate, well, correct, the, the appropriateness comes down to the person you're saying it to because if they are really you know, going through some issues with this and, and they, there may be some self-esteem issues already going on or we don't feel like us and the hair loss is just one more thing taken away that makes us feel less than. And so it is a big deal. And when people would say to me, you know, it's just hair, it'll grow back. I always kind of want to say, well, I'll tell you what, you shave your head and then we'll talk about it because it's not. And even this time I was going to shave my head this time when my hair started to fall out. But I couldn't bring myself to shave it. So again, my husband got the shears out. We didn't. We haven't shaved it all the way. It's about it's short on the sides. Of course, now that's a, a good look. Everybody, <laughs> people do that on purpose. Now they shave the side and leave the top or the back long. But, but anyway, I'm just as it gets thinner and thinner, we'll probably have to shave it again. But um, look at these pictures on page seventy uh-huh. and seventy nine. Yeah. And you notice you have a big smile yep. with a totally bald head. And over here with the hat, you've got that little mischievous look <laughs> going on again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably not uh, feeling uh, very good about the picture. I don't know. But I, I like the picture below like, it. There's a picture a year yeah. later with, with our daughters, just the three of us. It does grow back. In yeah. your case, it did. It did. I, yeah. And it usually does. There are certain chemos that make it tougher, but it usually does grow back. And if it doesn't, you still have that hat. I still have that hat. That's right. And um, yeah, so and sometimes it comes back a different color or a different texture or curly or straight if your hair was curly. But generally, even over time, it'll it'll revert back to what is normal for your hair. So just saying that. All right. We are now in what we call part two of the book. See, the book is written in three parts. The first part is just the story. So you can understand kind of what it feels like to 
go through something like this. So if you're trying to help support someone who's battling cancer, hopefully this first part that we've taken four weeks now to read um, will explain, you know, kind of what it feels like to go through the battle. So you have a maybe a little bit more empathy for the person that you're trying to help. And you know, and just a little better understanding. Part two of the book is called Inspirations for You, the Survivor. So this part is really specific to the survivors to maybe give them a little sense of hope and um, and maybe some ways to kind of get through some of this. And then the last part is for the caretaker, the person who's who's doing the assisting. But the whole book is it's got probably really good information to help anyone get through this. And regardless of what side you're on, there's probably some information in here that you find helpful. So anyway, part two, inspirations for you, the survivor. And we have a few more minutes left in this segment. So we'll get at least through probably the first chapter, maybe two. So this one is chapter 11. It's called Sister Lister. One night, shortly after my diagnosis, I was lying in my bed, thumbing through stacks of magazines, when an article caught my eye. Unfortunately, I didn't pay much attention then to the author, or I would be giving her credit now, but the subject was of interest. Struggling struggling with a life-threatening illness, a woman had made a list of things that were important to her. Her list included things that she wanted to have or do sometime in her life. She described the, the desire to one day own a beautiful silk bathrobe. The beauty of the list, she explained, is that if she ever found the perfect silk bathrobe, she could justify buying it because, after all, it was on her list. I love that idea. I had always been a list maker. Ah, a sister lister, I thought. And just in case you don't know, a sister lister is a woman who makes lists. And so I saw her as a sister lister Hmm. (laughs) to me. Hidden meaning behind those words. Uh oh. <laughs> Sister, Lister. So that's what it means. <laughs> that's what it means. Yep. I just gave away my secret. I began to envision such a list of my own and wondered what I would put on it. My list, I decided, would be called My List of Things to Do Before I Die. Um, just so you know, that movie, The Bucket List, they didn't know about my list yet. So they, you know, <laughs> they called it something else. But anyway, since then, it's, I think everybody now calls that same list The Bucket List. I got out of bed to locate my day planner, the one that held my list of appointments that had been canceled since my diagnosis. I pulled the pen out of its holder and flipped to the blank to the planner open and flip boy, I can't talk. And flipped the planner open to a blank section, section two in the back. I didn't want to think too much about my list. I just wanted to write what came to my mind, just in case I had the energy one day to make some of those things happen. I was surprised that right at the top of my list was get my degree. That same night, I added nine more things to my list. They were things I had often dreamed about, like spending time in Vermont. Vermont. (laughs) In Vermont. That sounds like a heavenly place. (laughs) In Vermont at a bed and breakfast during the fall, singing lead with a band, taking voice lessons, visiting Italy, and more. Finding that getting my degree was first on my list came as a bit of a surprise. In my younger years, I didn't value school that much. After graduating high school in 1970, I had attended one year of business school in Seattle. As I mentioned earlier, I met someone, got a job, dropped out of college to get married and have children while continuing to work full time. I didn't have time for school. I continued to work through my divorce and second marriage in order to help support my new family. Overall, it took me 26 years to decide to go back to school. Many people have asked why I went back after so much time. In 1990, when I got hired at that Yellow Page company that I currently work for, I was living in Medford, Oregon. I worked for the company in Medford for about a year when I had a chance to interview for a sales position in the Portland office. My boss and friend, Gary Gibson, encouraged me to apply for the Portland position because, as he put it, it's one thing to be a big fish in a little pond, but to really shine in this company, you need to be a big fish in a big pond. Portland was certainly a much bigger pond. One thing you could count on was my desire to shine. I had always been a top sales producer in every sales job I'd ever had, (laughs) including Tupperware sales manager, where I earned VIP status. I worked as an advertising sales director for the Medford-Jackson County Chamber of Commerce in Medford and more than doubled their advertising sales. I was currently a top producer in the Medford office for the Yellow Pages. I interviewed for the Portland position over the phone and much to my surprise, a few weeks later, got the job offer. 
On my last day of work in the Medford office in May of 1991, Gary took me to lunch to speak privately with me. After a good round of chit-chat, Gary looked me straight in the eye and said, with your work ethic and drive, as long as you keep it up, you can write your own ticket. Gary also knew that I didn't have much education beyond my high school diploma. He told me that if I really wanted to excel in the company, a degree would not hurt me. After I, uh, I lost my spot, oh no, trying to keep my eye on the clock too. He made too. <laughs> me promise. Oh, there you go. Keep going. He made me promise that when I got to Portland, I would sign up for school and I would take just one class. That promise haunted me for the next four years. During those following years, I advanced pretty quickly through the sales departments, moving from small accounts to larger accounts. By 1994, I was responsible for approximately $2 million in annual revenue. Finally, in December of 1995, as I began thinking about getting into management, I once again remembered my promise to Gary. I made an appointment to attend an open house at Merrill Hurst University in Portland to learn about their prior learning assessment program. I think a lot of schools have that program, and PLA program for short. This program was designed for adult learners. It allowed me to receive college credit for what I've done and what I've learned from what I've done through my life experiences. Fulfilling my promise to Gary, I agreed to take just one class to determine if I was a good candidate for the program. I remember feeling a huge load lifted from me as I kept my promise from over four years earlier. And, you know, and we talked about that in the beginning of this episode about keeping promises. And, you know, at that time when I kept that pro- when I made that promise that I would consider school, I really didn't know if I would, honestly. But I know that when I finally did that, I felt good. And there was a sigh of relief, actually. In January 1996, I completed my one class, found out I was a strong candidate for the program, and in February of 1996, just one month later, enrolled in the school and signed up for classes that would put me on track to earning a bachelor's degree in communications. I started regular classes later that month. Gary is a very clever man. So I think that I'm going to leave it right here um, because next I go into some other stuff that's longer. So I think I'm going to... We'll stop the book right at that at that spot, and we'll pick it up next time that we do some reading. But I do want to thank everybody who's listening to the show with me. And Bill, again, as my husband, whom I love dearly, I appreciate you so much for all the things that you did to help me get through my journey of cancer. And I know that without without the people in our lives that to support us, this journey becomes a lot more difficult. I think one of the beautiful things that we've touched on here today, and since some men may be listening and maybe some wives and spouses and significant others would like their partner to listen closely, I would say this. We started with the importance of keeping promises. And when you're married and you take that pledge, which is traditional, uh, to love your spouse in sickness and in health, that's a promise. And it's so beautiful to keep a promise. It's joyful to keep a promise. It's rewarding to keep a promise. That's right. Keep your promises, men. (laughs) And so with that, we are going to go ahead and and end the show. Um, But, Bill, I always love it when you do these with me. So I'm glad we're not all the way through the book yet because we have a few more to go. But with that, folks, remember, we will be back here next week. And until then, there is always, always hope. And we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There's always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.